0: Small doses, self help from the hip. Small doses, we're talking that shit. Small doses, and keeping it real. Small doses, with me and Nancee. It's so funky. So funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. We are here in the midst of the month of February, our Black History Month, and. um I wanted to do an episode about Black History Month because I feel like, especially in the wake of the last 365 days, there's a lot of people that are feeling this month in a different way and asserting it in a different way. And, um, you know, I see people like, I, I just see that at one point Black History Month was just like, you know, a month where we learned about. Harriet Tubman for the bajillionth time. Uh, whereas now I feel like there's a lot of folks that feel like Black History Month is more than just a month about learning, it's a month about asserting our Blackness in like a very unabashed way. Um, mind you, I feel like just like how people talk about like Black History Month goes, like people are like, Well, we should be doing Black History all year. Like I assert the Blackness all year, and I understand that you know it's different for everybody and their spaces and um you know, the uniqueness of their existence as a Black person. Nonetheless, I wanted to talk about this episode. I wanted to talk about Black History Month this episode because I want to talk about the, the different nooks and crannies related to Black History Month that I feel like don't really get discussed during Black History Month. So, <laughs> let's dive in. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. we dropping on these hoes. So, Okay. We both, I say we both, as if it's just me and you, because you know you're in your car right now and you're driving, and it's just it is me and you. Hey Boo, how you doing? How's your day? How's your edges this black history month? Are they are they feeling more lustrous? I'm glad. Because the ancestors are showing up for you. They're showing up for all of us. You know, there's history and there's white history. And that's what today's uh gem dropping is about because there are still people who say shit like, well, why isn't there a white history month? And it's like they they really still think they're coming at you with a zinger, like, oh, I got her! I saw that popping. And it's like, yeah, nah. Nah, like you're not, you're not like grasping anything. And so when we go to school in America, we have to understand that, of course, school is an extension of the government, and the government of America has been created on the grounds of a racist ide- ideology. And so it's no surprise that the history that we learn in school is white history. So when people say things like why isn't there a white history month, every month is white history month because the school, the, the history that we're learning is white history. And it is white history because there is this concept of like, to the winner goes the spoils. Well, it's also, you know, the captors and the people who are the oppressors get to tell the story and they get to write the history book and That has been a huge part of why the information that people are literally living their lives on, they're basing their values, they're basing their identities on, is so vastly skewed and it is so disordinately wrong that you have an entire world of people have tricked themselves into thinking that they are supreme because they have been fed the lies that the leaders have given them to brainwash them into thinking that they are such. Now, when the truth comes out, which is actual history, it is revealed that, you know, folks didn't quote unquote win or didn't conquer because of there being weaker people uh it was more so because of treachery it's because of savagery it's because of greed it's because of uh opulence it's because of all of these things that are actually terrible terrible yeah. and we live in a world that only has so much space yet, there is an obsession with having power and conquering over people and having more land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we actually study history, not, not white history, history, we are seeing the way that these things have taken place beyond simply one point of view, beyond one perspective. We're seeing them when in contexts also that align with the specificity of the time. What we're actually seeing is nuance, and it's so important that we point this out because a lot of us don't even realize how much we've been indoctrinated to this. We think we're woke. We think we're knowledgeable. We think we have the facts, and so we're like, yeah, like I don't buy into that, but ultimately, you can't help but have bought into it even a little bit because, baby, that's how you were brought up, and the unlearning takes such a concerted effort. You know, Ibrahim Kendi wrote the book Stamped from the Beginning, and Stamped from the Beginning explores just how race ingrained itself into the world in a multitude of ways. And he even says in his foreword, as an African-American studies professor, as a scholar, as a doctor, he says, you know, I didn't realize that even I had racist ideals because of the nature of simply just being immersed in a world where we are taught white history. And you as a black man realize that about yourself. And it's like, wow, these motherfuckers really were focused. So when we talk about Black History Month, What we're talking about is not just focusing on Black history, we're not just centering Black history, but it needs to also be addressed that it's doing so without it being made through the white gaze. And that's the frustrating part to me about Black History Month in our schools. It's still Black history through a white gaze. That's why we have Martin Luther King, who's presented as this like docile man who might as well like be herding sheep on the weekends and knitting when he's not, you know, asking white people for freedom. That's how he's painted. You know, we see Harriet Tubman and she's always sitting there with a with a handkerchief on and we never see her standing there pointing a rifle which is really what she was doing more often. We never see her, you know, in the act of doing what she was so um, brave for doing, which is, you know, freeing slaves from plantations. It's almost as if she's presented in this like little bubble of someone who did something great, but let's not get into the nits and bolts of that, right? Let's, we don't really need to get into that. And I know that when I was growing up and I was going to school in Florida, I was being taught about these people who were great black people, but only because they made it through a filter that white people has de- had designed was comfortable for them. So this Black History Month, I encourage you to take a, to take stock of your own uh, relationship to Black History, take stock of your own experience of re- of Black History Month, and if you are an educator or you have children or you're around children, take um, a concerted direct effort in presenting Black history without it being under the white gaze. And it's hard to do sometimes because we still have white run publishing companies that are publishing these books. We still have white run networks that are deciding on what gets put out in terms of content, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always gonna be the possibility that you may have to add some supplementary context to whatever you're sharing with folks. Nonetheless, there is quite a bit of that out here and we'll talk about it later in the script, but I wanna make sure that everyone knows, I am not in any way saying we shouldn't have Black History Month. I'm just saying that we need to understand just how clear uh, we have to be about the Black history that we are talking about because that white history has been very, very, very heavy handed and we need to swat it away indefinitely. DMT. We're starting it. All right, your Black History Month questions, let me tell you, are very interesting. And I wanted interesting questions and I got what I asked for. First question, if Kanye's next wife is black, can we forgive him for all of the dumb shit? <laughs> you know, I think the question is, can we forget? you know, does he want to be forgiven? You know, because when I, I have a real issue with like the idea of like just forgiving folks who aren't really trying to be forgiven, there's, you know, and I know people will say like it's a Christian thing to do. and But the other thing is that black folks are always expected to like come to these places of forgiveness that are not even requested by their, uh, what's the word I'm looking, by the person who harmed them or by the people or the system that harmed them. So you do come to a certain sense of acceptance within your soul so that you are not carrying it with you. But if Kanye doesn't even know that he did anything wrong, what does forgiving him do? Like, does that help him? Does that help us? Is it just because you want to be able to, like, listen to the music guilt-free or something like that? I mean, I'm not really sure what the mechanism behind that is. But I don't think that he was saying the things that he was saying because he has a white wife. He was doing weird shit long before that. I think conceptually he thinks that he had transcended race. And I don't think that was necessarily because he was with Kim Kardashian, I think it was because he got money. And he thought he could transcend race and he started talking about how it's not a race issue, it's a class issue, which is just an unnuanced way of looking at the reality of things. And so, uh, you know, it's not about Kanye having a black wife, it's about Kanye really getting back in touch with his black life in a real public way, and does he have the even capacity to ask for redemption, to ask for, um, shit, to ask for, well, to, to, to even have atonement. Does he even know how he made his people, his black fans feel? I don't know. But I'm not in the business of just forgiving folks just because my own selfish reasons. I might as well just keep the grudge for my own selfish reasons. (laughs) I'm a cancer. Next question. Do you think Tamron Hall giving Rachel Dolezal a platform during Black History Month was tone deaf and disrespectful? Why would Tam... Okay, so I have to talk about this without having full knowledge, which is not my thing to do. I don't like that. I don't like having to talk about things without a full scope of why the thing happened. So I I must, I mean, was, I, I can't imagine that Rachel Dolezal was on there talking about Black things. But in a general sense, I don't think Rachel Dolezal deserves a platform at all about anything. She's a con woman. End of story. And I know some people are like, yeah, but she was doing it for the greater good of Black folks. No, no she, she wasn't. wasn't. She was doing it for the greater egotism of herself. And she was removing the possibility and opportunities from actual black folks. She was taking up space. She was being a privileged white woman who decided that she wanted to be something. And so she was going to do it regardless of who it hurt. So why the fuck are we still allowing this type of person who is clearly a malignant narcissist to just move and groove in black spaces? I don't know. So I don't know that it has anything to do with a Black History Month tone deafness. I just don't know why any of us are giving this woman any space other than the clowner. I just don't. And you know, I, 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 it, I just am so protective of our space because it is so porous. So often, like I feel like folks just come in and out of this shit, like like Tycho Station on Expanse. And I know that's a very, um, uh, <laughs> I know it's a very, very, very specific reference uh, to the show The Expanse, but it's it's a space station. And so it's where ships dock. And so they come in and out all the goddamn time. And like, that's how people come in and out of black spaces, of black culture. They just come in and they load up and they leave. It's like, we're the fucking, you know, we're like a, a bay and I just, I'm not for it. I don't know how we canceled Kanye, but Rachel Dolezal is still sitting down places talking about anything. The only thing that she may have any interest, the only thing I may be interested in hearing her talk about is like, so tell me about narcissism. (laughs) You know, give me a firsthand account. That's, you know, it'd be different if she was like, you know what, I want to be like the person that Leonardo DiCaprio played in Catch Me If You Can. And I want to now use my skills of... Um, f- of, <laughs> of com- uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking, looking for? for? Of deception to help Black organizations root out folks who are faking the funk. Like, is she, you know, like that, like... Uh, I, or I want to I want to now become like the keeper of the allies. Like the, like you like I don't know how she's useful in our spaces anymore cuz I don't even know how she's trustworthy. So I'm sure Tam's had a legit reason and um if she didn't, I'm sure she was forced by uh, you know the powers that be and I I just feel like someone like Rachel Dolezal piques curiosity in spaces that I have no interest in looking. I'm not curious as to why a white woman would fake being black because I know exactly why she would fake being black. And by the way, it ain't about love of blackness. That's not what it's about. It's about hatred of herself. She wasn't faking being black because she loved black culture so much that she just wanted to be immersed in it how many of us have friends who are not black that are immersed in black culture and are still who they are—the identity of their ethnicity? I can tell you right now, my right hand is Jana. Jana is a full Chinese woman who was also raised in the Bronx and in the damn, um, in sorry, come on, I always forget the projects that are located next to the next to Rucker Park in Harlem, but Jana. Is on my staff. Jana's email is Jana at smartfunnyandblack.com. Jana is still a Chinese woman who knows about her culture and her ethnicity as well as knowing about black culture and black ethnicity. And you can be understanding and, and involved and relating to both without having to commit erasure of yourself or erasure of someone else's space in that other culture. I do not believe Rachel Zolazel wanted to be black a black woman because she wanted braids. She wanted to be a black woman because she hated her family. I don't even think it's that she hated white people. She just didn't like these other people and she didn't feel like, they really understood her and got her. And I think, you know, there is a certain level of compassion you can have for that. You know, we've seen many people, you know, particularly I think the trans community is the is the strongest example of this, of people who are born into uh, spaces that were created for them before they got to define their spaces for themselves. We understand that. But when it comes to the, the politics and the realities and the history around Black spaces, I'm sorry, baby, but you you just can't come up in here like that just because you just can't, sorry. Next question. Recently, Utah has announced parents can remove students from BHM. I mean, that's not completely true, but I'm gonna go on with the question. Recently, Utah has allowed parents to opt students out of BHM classes. Can Can you touch on the lack of knowledge of black history and how it also hurts and encourages ignorance amongst white folk and why they choose to be willfully ignorant? Why don't they realize that racism hurts them? So basically this is not wholly true. Utah as a state did not do this. There is a, there was a um, charter school in Utah that had complaints from white parents about the Black History Month curriculum. And they said that they didn't feel like their kids needed to be forced to learn this. And so the um, administrator of this school begrudgingly and with a heavy heart said that he felt forced to allow parents to opt out of their children participating in Black History Month curriculum. I don't know the ins and outs of how charter schools work, but I do know the ins and outs of how fuckery works. And this is an example of fuckery at work. These white people, don't want their kids to learn about Black history, not because they're afraid of, um, not because they, they don't want to dismantle racism, as the person in the question asked. I think it's that they don't want their kids to learn about Black history because they really have just bought into the fact that Black people are lower than them and they don't want their children to have to learn about people who are lower than them. I don't even think they're smart enough to be like, I don't want my kids to learn the truth because then they're going to realize they're not supreme. I don't even think they're that smart. I, I don't. Know. I really don't. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is that what what Black History Month curriculum are they teaching at this school that is going to just shake things up? I, I doubt it's some real radical shit. It's Utah. You know, the most radical thing that happened in Utah was a bunch of white folks following this other white man who said that there was an alien that told him he was God. Like that's the most radical thing that happened in Utah. Shit. So I can't imagine that this curriculum was really on some like and Huey, Huey P. P. Newton. Like, no, I I truly doubt that. What I do not doubt though is the uh, the 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 willful ignorance of white Americans to stay comfortable in knowing as little about anybody else as possible. Um, And that is something that I think most people um, can attest to because we live in a nation that also for what it's worth, just simply doesn't want to know about anybody else. It's not just black people. They just don't want to know about others because this nation is like narcissistic in its creation. It's just about this place and it it lives in a false sense of a vacuum and that false sense of a vacuum is what's killing it, by By the the way. way. And so I just think, um, I just think that's really what that's about. Uh, I'm, I'm always frustrated at anyone who chooses lack of information you know, like, and I don't think that that's gonna just change overnight. I don't look at Utah as a source point for, um, again, for radical thought or for enlightenment, but nonetheless, i heard, i I feel sorry for these children because again, racism is taught. Ignorance is taught. Work ethic is taught. All of these things are taught. And these are children who are being neglected. And CPS should be sent to these parents' doors. Next question. Do you believe in Morgan Freeman's statement not to bother with Black History Month? I don't really believe in much of what Morgan Freeman says. Um, He's an incredible actor and he's an icon of the screen. But I haven't heard much of his commentary off camera that made me feel like he was somebody that I want to um listen to for insight into blackness. When I sat when I saw him sit up on a national platform with uh Don Lemon and say that there is no wage gap based on race because him and Don Lemon made it, that's when I was done. And you can go on YouTube and find it. It's very available. That's when I was like, oh okay, I see. So Morgan is is not a free man. Morgan is uh, enslaved by his own ignorance. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. So that's how I feel about Morgan Morgan Freeman. Next question. How do we avoid us treating February as the only time to care about Black history? Our history is wide and huge. Well, you know... I think part of it is is recentering. And and I'm going to talk about this more later, but is reimagining Black History as more than just Black History Month as more than just a month that discusses like the facts of history and considering it as a place to more as a month of recentering and recalibrating, utilizing what we know of our history. And I think that's that to me is like what the reimagined version of of Black History Month is like, how do we use this month to reconnect with where we're from to continue moving to where we want to go? And there's there's a and I think that, you know. Taking it out of the hands of like, oh, this is just about education systems and putting it into the space of community and making this more about making this more about this is like a concerted time where we really like are focused on community. And let me tell you something. People love to say, well, we should have Black History Month all month and we should be doing that all year. It's like Valentine's Day. We should be loving the person all year. That's not disputed. However, we are humans and we are living and we require within at least the social space that we are in the West. We require benchmarks and points of light and deadlines to be able to like schedule out and align our emotions and our attentions, and so and our intentions. And so when it comes to Black History Month, I'm not opposed to there being a specific time when we are focusing our energy in a specific way. Also, because when we talk about energy, when we have a specific time and space aligned to something and everyone is putting their energy into that way, if we were, if we were approaching Black History Month as a time when we are using it as an energy space, like some type of fusion reactor where we're all like fusing our energy together, then you know, we put out, you know, you have the fusion reactor, you know, you put all the energy together and it's like. And they create a bar. And so if we were treating this month as like our fusion reactor for black energy from the past, present to change the future, then I feel like it would be a lot more effective. So that's how I would see it being changed. That's how I see us taking it out of the hands of just like, you know, treating February as the only time we treat black history. I mean, ultimately, black history should be taught all year round. And for those of us who are conscious of that, we do that. I mean, Smart, Funny and Black is based on that. Smart, Funny and Black is is a, a production company that creates content that is rooted in keeping the conversation of blackness at top of mind all year round and doing so through creative spaces. That's what Smart, Funny and Black is about. So um, I think there's a lot more of that going on than there was when I was growing up. And that's been a beautiful thing to see. I also think that uh, adding that level of spirituality and community into how we address Black History Month beyond just learning about individuals, you know, because that's the other thing too. I think that with Black History Month, when we make it about just looking at specific individuals, it almost seems as if, there wasn't entire there, there. wasn't an entire population of people that were a part of this history. And what is that about? We're not addressing the entire population of people. Like we have to be talking about, you know, not only individuals, but also how were those individuals even able to become the people they were. It was in, largely in part because of the population of people they were around that they came out of. You know, how do we talk about? how do we talk about black history without talking about the great migration and where did black people go? You know, and when we had that last episode, the, when we had the episode with Charles Blow, the black um, side effects of black power, you know, that's what he's talking about. So it's just, you know, these are like the little spaces that kind of go unnoticed, but I am somebody who's always looking in a number of different spaces when I examine things, I'm looking at what's happening and what's not happening. And that is how I glean what could happen to create more effectiveness. Next question. How far back should schools go for Black History Month and what sources should they use? Well, I think that in terms of schools, um, they go so far back and I don't have a problem with that, but I think it's like black history is also the black present. And I think that I I would like to see more attention paid to like the black folks in the recent history and current times. Like, I feel like they always go back to like the 1800s and then they'll go to like the 60s and treat the 60s like it was the 1800s, by the way. And not acknowledge that there are Black folks who, in very recent memory, did incredible things. And again, like I just said, there are, there is a Black population of folks that has done incredible things. Black people made it out of crack alive. Okay. okay. Black people made it out of a Trump administration alive. Okay. okay. Like, this is important. Like... Black people, along with brown people, because the Hispanic community was huge in creating hip-hop. Like, Hispanic is not the word I'm supposed to use. I'm Latinx people. You see? You see how brainwashing works? Like, some shit just don't never go away. Even though, even when you know, it's just in your brain. Get it out of there. Listen, hip-hop was created in the 80s. Like, it's brand new. In the 80s. Like forms of actual artistry were were born from nothing. So I don't think it's about how far back. It's about how wide. I feel like it needs to go wider. And we, I just mentioned this, but I, you know, as I continue to think about it, I just really don't ever see it beyond like these individual folks who were kind of like in service, but like, I just don't see enough about art. I don't see enough about in a, like engineering. I don't see enough about um theology. I don't see enough about medicine. It's like Charles Drew and Sergio Truth. Like that's it. So it's about getting wider. And 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 again, and I know this is a far cry from what's actually gonna happen, but you know, we always have so many people teaching black history in schools that have no alignment with actual black history is white people that a lot of times are just teaching what's taught to them and they don't really have a personal connectivity to the th- to what they're teaching. And so it gets treated very surface. And so they're they, you know, they have to make the extra effort to do the research to relay the feelings of these people, the feelings of, of of the time, the nuances, the context beyond just like this happened on this day and actually relaying, you know, what is the fury? The fury that Black folk felt when Martin Luther King was murdered and took to the streets. That needs to be a part of Black History Month. So it's not just how far back, it's how wide. Last question. The capitalism of Black History Month, these stores now want to capitalize on our celebration and it's annoying. I feel you. Um, But this is where we are. We're in America. And I think sometimes you kind of just got to like, choose your battles. (laughs) Uh, They're capitalizing on it. um, And that's a door open. And I would love to see Black creatives see that and be like, well, buy from us. Um... The, the fact of the matter is that we live in a capitalist society, so, like, anything that's created, people will capitalize on. I mean, it's just what it is. Like, the part of it that I don't like when they capitalize is when – it's being done in a way that is actually like fraudulent. Like someone hit me and said that this store that they work at is putting sweet potato pies in the front and saying happy black history month, because these are sweet potato and trying to sell sweet potato pies on black history month. That I I'm like, that's not a thing. Did black people make those sweet potato pies? Cause if, if, if and if, and if that's the case, then center all of the black owned products for this month. Um, You know, center all the Black-owned companies for this month. You know, Michaels did a whole line of Black History Month um, products. And, you know, some people were like, I don't like that you're supporting this. But as a crafter and as an artist, I liked that they had created specific stuff for us, you know? And it also created a lot of stuff that, that teachers could use. And it makes it harder to say that you couldn't do something when the shit is right in front of you. So you, there's a there's listen as with anything there's a pro, there's pros and cons. So I hear the concern and the frustration but I also am like you know sometimes you got to kind of find the pros and proceed. The script. So the script for this week's episode, I mean, listen, it could be so long. And, you know, I famously said, I don't got the time. I'm on my trampoline because... I had an agent ask me to provide her with a reading list of books for her to learn about racism. And I'm like, you are a white Jewish woman who has lived in this country since you were born. Why at 33, are you asking me one of your clients to give you a list of books to learn about racism? Have you not at any point up until this time made it your effort or made any of your focus about that? Like I have, taking great interest in learning about the Jewish culture, history, Holocaust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at no point did you say, hey, I'm around all these black people. Maybe I should learn something about what the fuck is going on. No. And now I'm supposed to take my time to tell you what to do. You must be out your goddamn time. Out I your goddamn mind. mind. And I don't have the time because I'm on my trampoline. Um she's no longer my agent. So anywho what I want to give you a list of in the script is some different resources that I think uh, that I, that I, that I've come across lately that have enlightened me in ways that I just did not foresee. So when we talk about black history month and we talk about centering blackness and we talk about not just about centering blackness as, um, identifying innovators or folks that have contributed considerably to the cultural canon. We also, um, have to address blackness as an identity. And we also have to address in terms of the black history of things, the ways in which black folks have been hindered, that what we have overcome, etc. And when I saw the Netflix documentary, Crack, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy, it really brought to life a lot of information and insight around the ways in which black folks uh, were... Oppressed is a loose term because it's like it it, it has so many levels to it in this particular context. Um, But throughout the 80s and 90s, and really the lies that have shaped the way so many of us have, as Black people that were impacted as a community by this drug, the ways in which we have applied um, our point of view about this drug. And like, I'll give you one insight I didn't know that crack babies isn't really a thing. They just made that up. They just made that up. There's actually apparently no scientific evidence that babies were being born with addictions to crack. Um, At least that's what was said in the documentary. And I thought that was alarming uh, because I know how like involved that is in so many of uh, just, you know, our, so many black cultural spaces where we just have that as like a part of our history. But I wanted to just name that documentary as an example for the script and, um, and not to say it as like, it's the the definitive, but to point out that part of the script for black history month, I feel is acknowledging and taking a look at different, um, different points of view of history that you thought you knew and documentaries are a great way to do that in a timely fashion because I know a lot of us may not have that much time to read. Now, for those of us who want to do that with reading, we have to look at Ibrahim Kendi's Stamped from the Beginning. Now, Stamped from the Beginning, I mentioned that earlier in the show, is a book that really talks about race uh, and it from its onset and how it became interwoven throughout the global landscape economically, um, ideologically, et cetera, et cetera. and for for a lot of us, like we just never really look that deep into it. and there's just so much information that you discover to let you know how deep it is. and if you don't know how deep it is and you don't know how to, di- how to how to root it out. that's just true. If you don't know how deep the roots go, how are you going to properly create mechanisms to uproot it? And I think that's what we see when we see a lot of people who are like, well, why do we have to talk about Black History Month, et cetera, et cetera? It's people who don't want that to be discovered because they're very comfortable in their false sense of supremacy. And what I want to do is always find out what's being hidden because you don't know what you don't know. Also for the script, you know, there's there's just music there's a wealth of music from the sixties and seventies civil rights, you know, movement and and, uh, black arts movement that is just empowering because of the time of black pride. And people will say, well, you know, we got that right now too. And it's like, yes, we do. But there's a couple of aspects that are missing. Like, I feel like the connectivity is missing, you know, the digital era changes, you know, the way in which music is being created. And there's just a, pocket of time in the 60s and 70s were things where it's such a fever pitch and it aligned at the same time with the incredible creation of music in the room and so you're getting a whole bunch of people that are in fever pitch creating in a fever pitch space and you you end up just making white heat I mean
1: well black heat, heat you know what I mean
0: really hot heat OK. And so when we talk about songs like Sam Cook A Change Gonna Come, when we talk about basically Curtis Mayfield's entire catalog, when we talk about Aretha and, um, you know, we talk about Isaac Hayes and just the amount of music that was coming out of Watt Stacks, this didn't happen by happenstance. It wasn't just, you know, man, like what a time, like what, like it just was. I guess what I'm saying is it's important to understand that when we look at our Black history in that particular time, we are getting to see such a capsule of the energy of that space in the music. And I don't necessarily feel like we have that right now. I want to see it. And I, I just haven't. Maybe in hindsight, we will. But so for the script, you know, there's your, there's your movies, there's your music, and there is your literature. Take a look. Get in depth explore. And, um, if you have any other suggestions of stuff, send me a DM and I'll, I'll share it. So, you know, I think there's a, there's an assumption too that because like black popular culture has become global, that black history is also global. And we really take it for granted. Like my mom learned so much about black American history by having a daughter who centered that in her studies. And that wasn't a part of her um, education growing up in Grenada. Like they weren't teaching them about Black American history, they weren't even teaching them about Black Grenadian history because they were under colonial rule at the time. So, you know, my mom has really, like, learned a lot, she said, by simply just, you know, being adjacent to me and then seeing me advance from learning about Black history in high school to learning about Black history in college. And the difference is very similar to our gem drop it. Because when I was in high school, again, we're learning about things on the surface. And I think we're learning about everything just on the surface in, in grade school. And I, I've been seeing some folks lately talking about how, like, school is pointless and, you know, the education system is, is created to keep you in debt and... um I think that there's definitely multifunctions for things. So on one hand, yes, there are portions of the education system that are functionally keeping people in debt. There are also portions of the education system that are functionally increasing people's critical thinking skills, which thus increases their functionality. And when it comes to my learning about Black history on a collegiate level, it opened my mind so immensely. It completely changed my person and my purpose. Before I went to college, you know, my blackness was near and dear to me and it was something that was intrinsic and something that I knew but that I hadn't necessarily um had proven. It was it was like I'm not going to say it was theory, but it was ethereal. And it wasn't until I got to college that I was able to expand my knowledge. I went to college and expanded my knowledge. I went to college and expanded my knowledge. You went to what? And expanded you what? I went to college and expanded my knowledge. Okay, we're back. And I didn't just expand my knowledge of the actual information, but I expanded my understanding of the information And thus got closer to the who's and the what's and the when's and the why's of all of these different things. And that is what ultimately opened my mind to seeing like this, this blackness that had felt ethereal become grounded in truth and fact and given a foundation. And that is a lot of like like I feel like a lot of people will be like, "Oh, Amanda, you're so confident. You're so confident." And I always tell you all the same thing: that confidence is about what you, confidence is about what you know. And I know for a fact that I come from black folks who have innovated and who have um, thrived in spite of white fuckery. And so, why can't I? I know that, and so thus I am tasked with combating that. I know that, and so I am empowered with tools that are within me. And I think we talk so much about like the trauma that's in our DNA, but we don't talk enough about the, the will that's within our DNA that comes from be- coming from those folks. And of course, we don't want to talk about that, because once you know your power, then you you're going to use it. But for me, that's what going to school really did um, in in terms of my collegiate and my graduate school studies. And once I once I left the acting conservatory, I said, you know, I don't want to stay here unless I'm learning about black shit. That's it. I don't want to stay here unless I'm learning about blackness as it relates to everything, you know, whether it's economics, history, all the above. And that's why I created my own major of Black Studies of the Concentration in the Visual and Performing Arts. And, um, and it has informed my work to this day. To this day. The last dose. So this Black History Month, you know, let us all continue to expand. I think that's what I look at Black History Month as now. I don't look at it as like just a time to talk about Ida B. Wells and Sojourner Truth and Frederick Douglass. I look at it as a time to expand. It's become almost spiritual in a way. And I know that wasn't necessarily Carter G. Woodson's intention when he created Black History Week. But for me, it's become like a centering moment. It's like a... It's almost like a Hanukkah in, in the sense of like just coming together and realigning with the whys of how we got here and you know those who lit the way for us to to still be here fighting and re um calibrating that strength so we can continue to fight because it is not over. And that's part of our history and it's part of our present. And eventually it will no longer be a part of our future. But at this point it is. And thus, we must. We must increase our bust. Okay, you know I had to do it. I was going to have, I couldn't just leave it hanging. I had to do it. Star a Avenue, a podcast network.